Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we ask, we ask for your help as we read this passage together, as we look at it together, as, as it is proclaimed here. We ask that you would turn on the lights for us, that we would see the truth of your word, that we would rejoice in it, that we would love it. And Father, we pray that as we look at it together, that it just would not be an intellectual exercise alone, but Father, that what we learn as our minds are renewed, that that would burst forth in worship and praise of you that we would love you and rejoice in you, be thankful for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as a pastor, I have the privilege of working with a lot of young people. I always have since youth ministry, and then even in this church, we have so many young people here, the p- privilege of working with them, and they often ask me about the will of God. They want to know, what is the will of God for my life? And how do I know what the will of God is for my life? How do I get to an understanding of what God's will is? Do I, you know, hear some mysterious voice? They inevitably ask me this. Have you ever heard God speak to you? Do I feel some kind of impression in my inner being? Do I pray a certain prayer? Do I look for a certain circumstance like an open door? Does my liver quiver? What exactly happens? (laughs) Right? That's exactly what they ask. They don't say the liver. Do I cast lots? How do I know the will of God? I want to know the will of God for my life. What's the answer? And they, they need to know. They feel this need to know because they're almost paralyzed at times about making decisions because they have the prospect of making a wrong decision. Should I marry this person or this person? Should I take this job or that job? And they're almost paralyzed by the prospect of making the wrong decision. Will I be out of God's will if I take this job in this city and not this job in this city? In this economy, you'll be out of God's will if you don't take one of the two, I'll tell you that right now. And the question that I often ask, what often comes to mind for me is, are we even concerning ourselves with the right question? Do we have the right understanding of what God even requires of us? See, we're right to assume We are right to assume that we are to make decisions according to God's will. We are right to assume that. But I think we are wrong to assume what it means to make decisions according to God's will is that we can always know perfectly what circumstances we're to pursue. Let let me give you an example of this. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, see that? You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are supposed to pursue knowing the will of God. Supposed to pursue knowing the will of God. But what will of God are we supposed to pursue knowing? What will of God are we expected to live according to? Keep your hand in Romans chapter 12 and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. If you're not very familiar with the Bible, so you know you go to the very beginning of your Bible, and you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible. This one's easier to find than if I name a minor prophet for you, right? Fifth book in the Bible, chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, and we're looking at 
verse 29. If you have this, verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Listen to what Moses is telling the second generation of Israelites. The second generation of the Israelites are now going to go into the promised land. The first generation were in sin and they were not going into the promised land. The second generation was. And he tells them something about the will of God. He says that, listen, the secret things, those things that haven't been revealed. In other words, the way God is sovereignly working out all the circumstances in your life, what we call the decorative will of God or the will of decree, that will of God that you don't know, the secret things, the things he hasn't told you about, those belong to him. You don't concern yourself with the secret things of the will of God that belong to him. You concern yourself with what? The things that are revealed belong to us. The things that are revealed are right here. This is the will of God that's been revealed, the word of God. And he goes, you know that that's what he's talking about because he says that we may do all the words of this law. These are the things that have been revealed. These are what belong to us. We call that you know, the revealed will of God or the moral will of God. Those are the things that we're responsible for. The secret things of the will of God or the decorative will of God or the sovereign will of God, whatever you call it, we're not responsible for those. They don't belong to us. They belong to him. I hear people all the time, but I want to hear God speak expressly to me, and I'm not going to get into this, but I tell them all the time, he does. Open your Bible. You don't pay attention to all these words. Can you imagine? It's like, well, I'd like you to speak to me. I gave you a whole book. Why don't you read it? And then maybe later on some other time, I might say something else. I mean, that's what they want to get to. They want to get right to God saying something else. They haven't even read this. It's like my wife writing me a slew of letters while I'm away on a trip. And I call her up and say, I haven't heard from you. When am I going to hear from you? And she says, have you read anything I've sent? Nope. I was waiting for a phone call. Those letters weren't enough for me. We need to understand, to have the proper understanding of God-honoring life, to have the proper understanding of God-honoring life, which is in accord with God's moral or revealed will. We need to understand the word of God to have that. We need to know the word of God and live according to the word of God. Our minds must accept and submit to the word of God, which is God's revealed or moral will. When our minds are accepting and living according to God's word, then we will be in God's will and we will have the wisdom to make the other choices that he hasn't revealed the answers to. Ladies, you want to know which man you should marry or men, you want to know which woman you should marry? I can't give you the specific name or exact outline, but what I can tell you is the word of God gives you all kinds of wisdom about how to make that decision. Attend to it. And it'll help you make the other decisions. The problem is that we're in a world that pushes something on us other than God's revealed will. We're in a world that pushes something on us other than what God says in his word. You guys know when we talk about worldviews, there are four basic questions in a worldview. Four basic questions. It's it's more complex than this, but I'm just going to break it down to just this simple four questions. Here they are. First thing people ask is, who am I? Who am I? The second question they ask is, why am I here? The third question in the worldview essentially is, what's the problem with this world? And the fourth question is, what's the solution 
to the problem to this world, in this world. Now the way that secularists answer that question, the way that atheists answer that question, the way that those who deny what the Bible says answer that question is really clear. Who am I? I'm a random biological accident. I am a random assortment or arrangement, I should say, of protons, neutrons, and electrons. That's who I am. And why am I here? Well, I guess to maximize my personal happiness. That must be why I'm here. Well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is I don't know how to maximize my personal happiness or other people don't know how to get out of my way of maximizing my personal happiness. What's the solution to the problem? Education and government, that's how we solve it. You need to know more and we need to put in laws to keep you from hurting my personal happiness. There's also a Christian worldview. Who am I? I'm an image bearer of God, created in his image and his likeness. Why am I here? I'm here to enjoy God, to enjoy God and honor him, glorify him forever. That's why I'm here. What's the problem? I'm in sin. We're all in sin. There was a fall. We all turned from him in unrighteousness. We suppressed the truth and we exchanged the glory of God for the creation. What's the solution to the problem? God must save us in Christ Jesus. You see, we're created to be God's people in God's presence under God's rule and blessing for God's glory. But we live in a world and we are naturally inclined toward a worldview that's contrary to God's will. And Paul calls us, therefore, to renew our minds. Renew our minds. We must understand that there's a battle happening for our minds. What I want to make clear is this. Don't think that renewing your mind is just this sort of neutral project. Here your mind is a tabula rasa, a blank slate. And you just got to form it the right way, and it's sort of a neutral project, and hopefully you put in the right thoughts, you get out the and you, you, that's not what it is. There is a war happening. When you are born, you are dead in your sin. Your mind is, and heart are bent a particular way, and there is a war occurring for your mind. And I see this battle claiming the hearts and minds of countless, countless numbers of people. Unless we think the enemy who comes for our minds is neutral, you need to know that this is a spiritual war. You know how, how I see this? Every Halloween, every Halloween, I hear Christians starting to just all, you know, constipated about, about this, this day, right? They're just all freaking out about these ghouls and ghosts and demons and witches and all this stuff. They're like, oh, such paganism and, and witchcraft and, oh, we're all going to worship the devil when we get candy to our children. You know, and they're just freaking out. And okay, I'm not going to make a whole statement about Halloween, but they're, they're all side issues. But here's the point. We're all exercised over Halloween, and what I don't hear anybody getting exercised over is the day that the public schools open and the public universities open and they assault the minds of our children. Satan is an angel of light. That's how he comes. He comes as an angel of light to deceive. He doesn't carry around a pitchfork and say, here I am to scare you and your children. That's not particularly effective. He comes to deceive you with lies. And be very careful what I mean, qualification. There are plenty of good, godly public school teachers and employees. That isn't my point. My point is 
there's a system in place that has expunged God from its vocabulary. A system. Our children learn one of two things. Either A, God doesn't exist, or B, he isn't relevant to their daily lives. You don't believe Satan's assaulting the minds of our young people? Step into any university and listen to the cultural anthropology professors or the philosophy professors or the religions, religious studies professors as they shred to pieces the idea of truth, as they tell you that all of truth in the moral and religious realm is just pure value. It isn't really true. What's true is all the things that we can empirically touch and taste and feel and see and hear. That's what's true. Two plus two equals four is true. But all of this stuff, this is just a bunch of values. It isn't truth. And so don't push your value on me. But we believe it's true. And yet the world is assaulting our minds and having us make this split between what we can feel and touch and, t- touch and taste and hear See, making a split between that, that's true. All this other stuff is just values. And we're buying that scheme. Buying it. Our minds are being conformed to this world's system in that regard. There is a war happening. We're in a battle for the mind. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at verse 3. Here's Paul speaking to Corinth about his ministry For though we walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, here's our bodies. He's not using the flesh in the negative here. He's using it in the idea that we walk in physicality. He's not using flesh like he does sometimes does as a sin principle. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Why do we have to destroy strongholds? Why do we need weapons? Because we're in a war. And what, are the, what is that war? Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, that's the war. The war is that we don't want that the war, this world system, the world, the flesh, and the devil do not want our minds to obey Christ. We want our minds to obey their view of thinking. And we're supposed to take our minds captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what Paul means when he says renewing the mind. We are in a battle for the renewal of our minds, for the transformation of our persons. We are in a battle. And there are four truths to get out of the introduction into the sermon, there are four truths, okay? Four truths that we need to know in this battle to renew our minds so that we are accepting and living in the will of God, okay? Four truths. First, first truth we need to know, your mind has a natural bent against God and his truth. Your mind has a natural bent against God and his truth. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse two. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why do you need to be transformed? What does that assume? Why does your mind need to be renewed? What does that assume? It assumes that in some way you had a different bent naturally. You were in this state, and now you have to be transformed to that state. Your mind was in this state, and now it has to be renewed to that state. Our minds have a natural bent against God and the truth. That's why we need to be transformed. That's why our minds need to be renewed. 
Your mind doesn't just have the power. I think sometimes we think the mind is totally neutral. It just has the power to notice and learn and observe and sort of organize information. That's not all your mind. Your mind also has a posture. It has a demeanor. It has a bearing. It has an attitude. It has a bent. As Luther said, we are all, our hearts, our minds, our are curvatus and say they're curved in on themselves that's that's how our mind is our heart is our minds are directed toward our own selfish desires and practices how do i know that look keep your hand in romans 12 go back to romans 1 romans chapter 1 and verse 18 paul says this after he announces the gospel and the fact that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And why? Because in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We need the righteousness of God through faith. And why do we need it? For, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We hold it down. We stand over it. That word there is the idea that we're standing over the truth of God and we're pushing it down and putting ourselves in the superior place. That is the bent of our mind. How do I know that? When I talk to guys, they'll always tell me, well, you have to, you have to give me all these good evidences to believe what God says or does. And they have to be rational to me instantly, and I don't want to get into all these, this debate, but the point is, at the end of the day, they believe their own mind is the test of all truth. Somehow it comes back to them. And that if their own mind doesn't buy it, then they get to suppress it. They get to hold it down. Rather than the idea that, that God is true, and that's properly basic to all of us, we know that. We've decided that unless it fits with my, push it down. That's our natural bent. Verse 21, look what it says, for although they knew God, that's our natural state. We knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's an interesting statement for him to say, your heart is foolish. Because our hearts are in love with the wrong things. They're bent in on themselves. And our minds are darkened as well. Look at chapter 8 of Romans and verse 6. Chapter 8 and verse 6. Oh, start in verse 5, actually. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, Paul is making a distinction here between two kinds of people. Those who are saved in Christ, who are now indwelt by, changed or regenerated by, born again by the Spirit, that group of people, and those who are still in the flesh, still dead in their sins and transgressions. If you're still in that state, your mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That is your bent. That's our main problem. Our main problem isn't a lack of proper education. Our main problem is a lack of godly submission and worship. Second, second truth we need to know, the renewal of our minds is an act of God through rebirth. The renewal of our minds is an, is an act of God that comes through rebirth. Look at, um, keep your hand there in Romans 12 and look at John chapter three. John chapter three. This is the story many of you are familiar with where Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and gives him a compliment, and Jesus launches into this conversation that seems to have nothing to do with Nicodemus' compliment. 
Jesus just turns to the topic he wants to talk about. Chapter 3, verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, calls him teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus said, thanks for the compliment, Nicodemus. I appreciate your trust. No, what he says. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Here's the problem with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is being a smart aleck. Obviously, Nicodemus knows that a man can't be shoved back into his mother's womb and born again. He obviously knows that Jesus must be talking about something else, but he's still a smart aleck and asks the question. Jesus, in fact, asserts that Nicodemus knows these things. He shouldn't be surprised. Look at what Jesus says in verse um, 10. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? In other words, Jesus says, I'm pointing to something to you that was a truth in the Old Testament, Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be regenerated. You are dead. You're born dead. You're born in sin. You have to have a rebirth. He goes on to explain that. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of water and the Spirit, there's one preposition of, one, governing two different ideas, water and the Spirit. That is all one concept. A lot of people say, well, born of water is like, you know, when you're baptized, and born of the Spirit is like this sort of spiritual thing that occurs to you. No, no. Born of water and the Spirit is one concept. It's a rebirth of water and Spirit. You're born the first time of the flesh, and you're reborn in the Spirit. Look what Jesus goes on and explains that in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Keep your hand there and go to Ezekiel chapter 36, because this is why Jesus expects Nicodemus to know this. Ezekiel chapter 36. It's just before Daniel and after Isaiah and Jeremiah and all that. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. There's a promise made to Israel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Hear that? I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Hear the spirit there now? And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why do we need to be reborn? Because we have a heart of stone. That's why. Because we're in sin and we're unclean. And so God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. I'm going to pour clean water on you and cleanse you from your sins. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to renew you. It's an act of God by which he renews you. Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus in John 3, 7, or John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes. That's a play on words in the Greek. That Greek word pneuma means spirit or wind. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word ruach, which means spirit or wind. It's a play on words. What he's saying is the spirit blows where he wills. He goes where he sovereignly wills to go. And he goes, Jesus goes on to say, 
and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. You have no idea where the Spirit's going, but you know what you do? You see the effects when the Spirit goes there. When the Spirit blows on someone, you see the effect. What is the effects? A changed life, a renewed person, someone who's reborn. So you don't know where the wind is coming from or going. We do because we have modern meteorologists. They didn't, but you understand the point. You just saw its effects as the leaves on the tree blew, as you heard its sound. And it was sovereignly blowing where it wills. And you always see the effects. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, Jesus says. Picking up on the immediate chapter that comes after Ezekiel 36, which is Ezekiel 37. And Ezekiel 37, what happens? Ezekiel prophesies to the wind, to the Spirit, to the Ruach. He prophesies. And what does he prophesy? He says, Spirit, come. Blow on these dry bones. You had this valley of dry bones, all these dead people, so dead that they're just dry bones. And the Spirit blows on them, and flesh comes on, and they come to life, and they live. That's what Jesus says is happening here. You are dead, like in the valley of dry bones, and the Spirit blows on you and gives you life. He renews you. Nicodemus, you should know these things. You're a teacher of Israel. The Spirit of God must renew you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're in Romans, go past 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You see again the need to be renewed. In verse 3, Paul's talking about how he's preaching the gospel. And in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled... Verse 3, even if our gospel, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. From what? What's he blinded them from? From seeing, see that? From seeing what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ. He's blinded them from that. How do they have that blindness removed? Verse 6 of chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. In other words, Paul is saying, the God who created everything, the God who at the beginning spoke and said, light be, and light was, that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That God has renewed us. He's the one who does the work. Titus chapter 3, keep going past Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Timothy and get all the way to Titus chapter 3 and we'll start in verse 3. For we, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. There's a very upbeat description about us, huh? That's where we were. But, verse four, but who changed that situation? Who did the work of renewing our minds? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, declared righteous, forgiven by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of 
of eternal life. You see, when we believe, we are born again. We have a new nature. We have new affections. We have a new mind. So as believers, we have a new mind in Christ. We're no longer pridefully set against God and his word. That's the state for believers. However, even though we're in that state, even though God has renewed us as believers, that doesn't mean the war is over. The battle still rages. The battle still rages. This world, this present darkness, this age, it's the word Paul's really using there in Romans chapter 12. This age still wishes to conform us to its mold. The battle still rages. The world, the flesh, and the devil are still actively at work as we're told in 1 John. So the third thing we need to know is this. Renewal of our minds is an ongoing work of God by the Spirit. So our minds have a natural bent. That's the first thing, toward evil, away from God, toward sin. First one. Second one, God must renew them. It's an act of God, a work of God by which he renews them. Third point, there is an ongoing work of God by which he continues to renew them because even after we're renewed, we are still in this present world. And there's an ongoing process of God by the Spirit. See, our problem is that while we're now born again, we still have this world fighting for our mind, attempting to, give up, to get us to love something more than God and his glory, trust in something more than his word. And the solution to our problem is that God works in us to increase, increasingly, clearly see the truth of his glory and his word and to love it. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What's interesting here is that idea of being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Those two words are both passive imperatives. What does that mean? Imperatives are idea of a command. You're commanded to do these things, but they're both passive imperatives. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is something's being done to you and you're being commanded to let it happen. You're being commanded not to let the world conform you and you're being commanded to let God transform you by the renewal of your mind. You hear that? The world is trying to conform you to its image, and God is trying to conform you to his image through the Spirit. Both of those things are happening. Do not let the world conform you, but let God the Spirit transform you. Idea is it's passive. The Spirit is at work. That's the third point. That's it. The Spirit is continually at work. Paul had said this in 2 Corinthians. You don't need to turn there. You can turn to Philippians, though, so you're on your way. Philippians chapter 2. Paul had said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. He had made this point. And we all with unveiled face. In other words, the veil's been removed. We now see the truth. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being, are being continuous state, transformed into the same image, the image of God, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is continually transforming us, renewing our minds, making us like Christ. It's a continual work of the Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, Paul picks up the same thing where he tells them, I want you to work out, he says this to the uh, Philippians, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. You know, I want you to work out, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Hear that? Active stated sentence. Work out, you work at this. 
It's an ongoing transformation. Yes, your justification was by faith alone. Yes, you were forgiven for your sins and declared righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did. And you look to him and recognize it has nothing to do with me, only because of him that I'm saved. Yes, that's where your justification comes from. However, you're in an ongoing battle where you're working out your salvation. You must continue to work at it with fear and trembling. And he goes on in verse 13 and he says this, emphasizing the Spirit's work. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. See, God is on an ongoing way working in you to transform you. And this leads really to the fourth point, which is this. While God is, while we have a natural bent against him, while he is the one who must renew us, while he continues ongoing sense to renew us, it's also true, as Paul says, that we have to work it out. Now, the fourth thing is this. Renewal of our minds is a cooperative effort with the Spirit. The renewal of our minds is a cooperative effort with the Spirit. This world will try to continue to conform us to it. And Paul says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Now, while these imperatives are passive, they're still commands. We are not to allow the world to conform us. We are to allow God to transform us. God must do this, God is doing this, but we must not resist his work. We must resist the pressure of this age to mold us and to submit, get us to submit to, the, to its agenda and begin to submit to the pressure of the Holy Spirit to mold us. Hear that? To mold us to his agenda, which is the word of God. You know, what, what are the worldly patterns of thinking? Well, Paul will go on in Romans chapter 12. If you look at verse 3, for example, he'll go on and start laying out what these kinds of patterns of thinking the world is trying to conform us to. For the grace, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, and I'll be here next week, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of himself with sober judgment. He uses the word think four different times. He just said, renew your mind. And now four times the next verse he, re- he references thinking. Why? Because he's driving at the fact that the world wants you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And he says, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. In fact, he goes on to say, you need the body of Christ around you and all their gifts. We're going to talk about that next week. That's why we do membership here. You want to know why we do membership here? We don't want to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We ought to think with sober judgment. In other words, what Paul says is, don't think like a fool. Don't be crazy. That's what actually he's getting out of verse 3. Know your need for the body. We'll be talking about that more next week. But we have the wrong thinking. The world is trying to conform us to that. And he's saying, don't be conformed to that. He goes on and lays out several other ways throughout these chapters, the way this looks, the world wants us to think, and that we're not supposed to be conformed to. And we'll get into those over the coming weeks. But the main issue is whether your mind... Whether your mind is increasingly seeing God in all his glory in the face of Christ and whether you are thus seeking to please him, to submit to him, to be more like him, that's the main issue. And we do this through being renewed in our minds. What's the renewal of our minds? It is simply an ongoing, daily, moment-by-moment commitment to knowing and rejoicing in the truth of God's word. That's it. What's the renewal of your mind? It's simply, I'm not saying it's easy, I'm saying it's simple. The difference between easy and simple, it's simple to lose weight, not easy. Ask me. I'm a professional at this. Simple. Eat right, exercise. Not easy to have the discipline to do it. Okay? It is simple to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to know what the answer is? 
Don't give in to the world's way of thinking. Instead, daily, moment by moment, continually renew your mind by being in God's word, by reflecting on God's truth, by loving it and rejoicing in it. Simple, not easy. It's a war. It's a battle. It's a commitment to not marinate in and not live according to the affections and wisdom and ways of this present world, but instead to marinate in and live according to the affections and wisdom and ways of Christ, of God and his word. It's what it is. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. So you commit yourself to the wisdom of God's word, the wisdom of one who fears God rather than the foolishness of this present age. That's what you do. Because your mind has been renewed. Now you have to continue to fight for that continual, ongoing renewal Look at Ephesians chapter 4 briefly. This is the last passage we'll look at. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul goes after this in verse 20. He's been talking about how their minds were futile in futility, how they were in sin, how they were living a particular way. And he goes on in verse 20. He says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That, put off the old self, put on the new self. Stop living according to the world's way of thinking. Start living according to God's way of thinking, which is found in God's word, in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we still live in this present age, in this present world system. We need to diligently work to keep our minds going in a direction that we might walk in wisdom in this world. We must have the new mind and we must work to renew our minds in order to walk in wisdom. Have to. It's not optional. If we hope to walk in this present age, in this world, and we hope to do so in wisdom with discernment in a manner that approves of and lives by God's will, you want to answer that first question I asked Everybody here, you want to ask, answer that first question, how do I live according to God's will? You follow God's word. That's it. Obey this. Trust this. You'll be in the center of his will. If we hope to have our minds transformed and our bodies lived out as a sacrifice that's living and holy and acceptable God, we must remember that our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's the principalities and powers that grip this present darkness with their lofty opinions. And we must constantly, prayerfully be reminded of the gospel, the good news of God's incredible mercy to sinners like us who've suppressed his truth and unrighteousness, that he has chosen to save mercifully, to forgive, to declare righteous, to adopt as his children. We must constantly remind ourselves of that every day, telling ourselves the gospel, and we must constantly be seeking God's word that we would know it, that we would meditate on it day and night. How can a young man keep his way pure? By meditating on the law of God day and night. That we would know it, that we would wield it as the sword of the spirit that it is, and that when Satan comes around roaring at us, that we can tell him that we know he's a cat on a chain that he has no power, that we can resist the devil with the sword of the Spirit, and he will flee from us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work powerfully in us to renew our minds. We ask, Father, for those here who do not know you currently, who 
are in the state of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and ungodliness, we pray, Father, that you would change their hearts and their minds, that you would pour your spirit out on them, that you would pour clean water on them, that you would forgive them for their sins, that you would cause them to want to walk in your ways, that you would give them faith and trust in you, that they would turn to you and be saved. Father, we pray for all of us who have been renewed by you, whom you're constantly constantly working in to transform by the renewal of our minds. We pray that you would keep working powerfully in us. And Father, we pray, we ask of you that you would give us the strength to continue to fight and that we would be diligent and disciplined to stay after the battle and recognize our need to constantly be in the word. We pray this and ask this in your holy name. Amen.